This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, September 8th, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. The pandemic revealed structural problems in the American healthcare system and the state-level pandemic response often involved doing away with, at least temporarily, regulations that stood in the way of people accessing care. So what were the bright spots during this pandemic? Sal Nuzzo is vice president of policy at the James Madison Institute. We spoke last week. Libertarians have long cared about eliminating certificate of need and restrictions on scope of practice and issues relating to cross-border provision of medical care. Uh, And that was before we had a global pandemic that shut a lot of things down, including doctor's offices. And a lot of people were left with, if if they didn't have COVID, even if they had medical issues that were uh, non-critical, it doesn't mean it's uh, it's non-essential that you get care for that, but it meant that it was a lot harder for a lot of people to get that kind of care. So what have we seen in the wake of COVID-19, which we hope we're in the wake of COVID-19, is uh, from state legislatures and uh, regulators with respect to getting people the care that they need. Well, the idea of kind of the pandemic as uh, as it played out shined a light on a lot of the onerous regulations that states and quite frankly the federal government had implemented over decades with respect to the provision of health care so um really the way that florida tackled a lot of these was on the supply chain of the provision of care and that began actually a couple of years before the pandemic, uh, our then House Speaker uh, made it a priority of his to relieve uh, or to provide relief to patients as they attempted to have a relationship with their doctors. And that was the kind of the onus of Florida's healthcare agenda for 2019 and 2020. What it looked like was a series of reforms that uh, took on things like certificate of need restrictions on uh, hospitals and on ambulances and and on uh, so forth. It involved the expansion of what they call scope of practice for nurse practitioners and for pharmacists and for physicians assistants to allow them to practice to the highest level of their training, which they get. It also involved uh, things like allowing for patients to receive care via telemedicine. And, uh, you know, the, the, a lot of times you forget the fact that if you're getting care via an iPad or a smartphone or a computer, you can get that care from a provider in any state. In fact, anywhere in the world. So, uh, allowing patients to have a more intimate relationship with their care provider was exactly the direction that Florida took. And what happened was we saw states around the country uh, finding out when they entered into pandemic response that all of these regulations that they had been shouldering over a period of decades were harming the residents of their states. So at the time, you had governors issuing executive orders to provide relief from those regulations because they had uh, emergency declarations. Well, that begs a very important question. If you have uh, an emergency and you're relieving 
regulations, why do you need those regulations in the first place? And so as the pandemic has, has uh, kind of um, gone through its iterations, we've seen many states around the country uh, tackling uh, those and kind of making those changes uh, permanent. So we're going to have a great amount of data at the end of this pandemic about how states perform, what the private sector response is to uh, suspending regulations. A lot of states are, I think, at least particular officials within states are probably pretty eager to get a lot of those regulations back on the books mm -hmm. as quickly as possible and go back to quote unquote normal. Yeah. And I think that uh, really what and coming from uh, Florida, I have the unique ability to provide uh, both anecdotal and statistical data to show, no, you really should kind of stick with the deregulatory posture. Um, so, for example, um, just uh, as a result of the repeal of our certificate of need restrictions, um, during the course of probably six or seven years that I uh, worked with uh, partners from around the nation to try and reform these uh, these laws, uh, we would consistently and constantly go up against the hospital associations, uh, the, the traditional trade associations that were entrenched in the market. Uh, and they would claim uh, that the sky would fall, people would die, and every rural hospital would shut down. Uh, to hear Matt Mitchell tell it from Mercatus, by opening up competition and care, you will in effectively destroy care. And, and Matt can articulate that far better than I could ever. Uh, what actually happened in Florida uh, since uh, the 2019 reforms went in place is you had hospitals around the state expanding out their services. You have uh, at least three or four new uh, transplant uh, facilities being opened uh, in existing hospitals. You have new rural hospitals being built. You have ambul ambulatory surgical centers being established. You have ER annexes being built in more rural areas of a particular metropolitan area. And all of this is as a result of the government finally getting out of the way. So what is the big lesson? I know there are a lot of states, uh, I've harp on this a lot, uh, my home state of Kentucky relaxed a lot of regulations. Uh, one of the ones that they did not relax was certificate of need. And now we have a very high infection rate. There are a lot of people in hospitals. There are very, relatively few beds for people to be treated for non-COVID issues. And, and the costs of that, you could put a you could put a death toll on it. And this is one of the areas in which I'm going to be very eager to see the data, not on the COVID side of the healthcare equation, but on the non-COVID side of the healthcare equation. Because what you've had is you've had this acute pandemic, which has effectively crowded out all of the other care that would be traditional that folks would come into a hospital or a specialist for. And so... I'm really eager to see in the con versus non-con states how their uh, health outcomes, because really at the end of the day, all this is about is health outcomes for individuals, how those health outcomes have uh, been either uh, adversely effective or uh, in some cases, I would imagine diametrically opposed between a con and a non-con state. And you don't have to appropriate money when you eliminate 
regulation. Absolutely not. That's the, the one of the many beauties of implementing this reform and some others is uh, y- y- there is no uh, there is no, quote unquote, government investment uh, allowed. I would also like to point out, though, that that con is only one piece of the puzzle. Um, the expansion of uh, scope of practice for nurse practitioners um, and allowing them more autonomy in practice. Let's let's describe what that is, because when you uh, think about some nurses or nurse practitioners, uh, uh, people in that field, in many states, they have to operate under the house of a physician. Correct. And they do not have certain privileges that physicians have. Uh, and we can argue about the, the rightness or wrongness of a lot of those individual uh, uh, powers that they, that they are granted by the state. But uh, when we broaden scope of practice, what does that mean for those practitioners? What does it mean for physicians? And what does it mean for how care gets delivered? And it does vary from state to state. There are um, some states that have allowed nurse practitioners to practice autonomously with what they call a collaborative partnership agreement with a doctor. And so a doctor could uh, enter into a CPA, what they call, with anywhere from uh, two to 10 different nurse practitioners. And the job of the doctor is to kind of not necessarily oversee it, but to provide some guidance and some assistance. Other states have uh, not required uh, a collaborative partnership agreement and have just gone full on deregulation and saying, no, if a nurse practitioner has training and has a certain amount of hours of practice that they've completed, they have the ability based on those two factors to see patients independently and in many cases have prescribing authority and so forth. Um, one of the interesting anecdotes, Florida did this very reform back in 2020 uh, at the outset of uh, kind of when the pandemic was just beginning to take hold in the state. It had long been a policy goal for um, for the leadership in the legislature, but they finally got it across and the governor signed it. Uh, anecdotally, I've had some conversations and uh, met with nurses from around the state who are now entering into autonomous practice. And one in particular, a nurse practitioner in uh, the Tallahassee area uh, decided she was going to uh, use her autonomy to practice in a direct health uh, network, a direct primary care practice. Uh, most of those uh, charge anywhere from you know, 50 to $75 per person per month in order to have access to, uh, to the doctor or in this case, the nurse. She charges a little bit more. It's uh, about $200 a month, but there's a, 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 there's a, an interesting dynamic. Her, uh, passion is actually her yoga studio that she owns. And so for $200 a month, you have 24 seven, 365 access to her and unlimited yoga. And if you think about the ultimate goal being health outcomes, approaching health care and health provision in a holistic manner, she's just killing it. Yeah, it's really outside the box of these sort of silos of regulation that we see in particular practices. And uh, for people who are qualified to deliver care to the satisfaction of the state, uh, being able to offer a much wider range of stuff uh, gives us a lot of information and knowledge going forward about what works and what doesn't. And I believe that what those of us who have been uh, kind of preaching 
healthcare freedom and and kind of more um, uh, more liberty over healthcare decisions. The direction that we've always come from is one in which individuals should have choice over the care that they are receiving and who is delivering it. And more often than not, uh, one could even argue all the time, the more that government gets in the way of that relationship between a patient and a doctor or a patient and a nurse or a patient and their therapist is a, is a direction in which you end up with less quality care, poorer outcomes, and just exorbitantly higher costs. Sal Nuzzo is vice president of policy at the James Madison Institute. We spoke last week. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast pretty much anywhere and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.